This is episode 100 with yoga instructor, exercise biology major, and CrossFit mobility certified self-described body geek, Ms. Alexandra Ellis. Hello, runners and the run curious. This is your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I am so excited. You are listening to the 100th episode of the Strength Running Podcast. It has been a whirlwind few years, and I want to start by thanking you so much. This podcast has just about tripled in size since 2016, and we've featured everyone from Olympians to professional strength and conditioning coaches to health journalists, registered dietitians, sports psychologists, and whoever I think can help you make better decisions about your training, nutrition, or recovery. And I really have you to thank. Every single time that you download an episode, leave a rating or review in Apple Music, share an episode on Instagram or with your running club, it's telling me that you like what we're doing here and that you want me to continue. Thank you again. This podcast wouldn't be where it was today, celebrating 100 episodes and over 1.1 million downloads without you. But that doesn't mean that we're done. I always want to be improving and shaping this podcast into one of your favorites. And I've put together a three-question survey that I would really appreciate you taking at strengthrunning.com survey. That URL is so simple, so please hit pause on me for two minutes and let me know how I can make this show even better. That's strengthrunning.com survey. Okay, let's talk about our guest today and an interesting conversation about body care, recovery, mobility, strength training, and help treating and preventing every runner's favorite nuisance, the infamous rolled ankle. Our guest today is Alexandra Ellis. Alex has a degree in exercise biology, multiple yoga certifications, and she's attended a wide variety of clinics and workshops, including CrossFit Mobility, Human Dissection, and we're absolutely going to talk about that one, movement training, kettlebell training, among many others. And what I love about people like Alex are her broad experiences and areas of study in so many different fields of training theory and fitness and exercise science. And while she doesn't specialize in helping runners specifically, we can learn a lot about how our body operates and responds to stress from other types of coaches and specialists. So I hope you enjoy this one. And without further delay, please welcome my guest, Ms. Alex Ellis. Hey, Alex, thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You have quite the background, and I'm always on the lookout for interesting people who have a very wide breadth of experience. And, you know, I think too often runners, uh, we focus on other runners, particularly the fast ones. And yeah. uh, with that said, I think we do have a lot to learn from other disciplines, other sports and specialties. So I'm really excited to speak with you. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And I'll say as far as like a wide breadth of stuff, I'm really uh, a questioner. If you're familiar with uh, Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. So I have found that asking questions and then figuring it out has led me down many a rabbit hole. So I know a lot of stuff, um, <laughs> definitely about the body, but also random things. So maybe we'll find our way there as well today. <laughs> yeah, we're surely going to go down some rabbit holes. Um, you know, you have degrees in exercise biology, you're a yoga instructor, you've taken courses in a whole variety of areas like CrossFit mobility, human dissection, movement training, and kettlebells. Wow, there's so much going on here. Where do we even begin? 
I think we have to begin by talking about this human dissection workshop that you took a while back. <laughs> what is going on here? How did this come about? Yes. Well, I've always been fascinated with the human body. And in uh, college at UC Davis, we did have a human anatomy section. Um, so it was 10 weeks. The bodies were already like done for you, which I know is like a weird thing to say anyways. Um, and so that really sparked my interest in human anatomy. And so the teacher that I studied with after college, his name is Gil Headley. If you are even like the tiniest iota interested in anatomy, he has a fantastic YouTube channel with like all of his dissections. So that's where I started. But Gil's lab gave me the opportunity to actually do the dissection myself. Like day one, puts a scalpel in your hand. You're like, oh, okay, okay, here's where we go from here. Um, and if there's anything I've learned from doing human anatomy and specifically dissection is that every body literally is so unique. And, you know, when we get really deep into textbooks, sometimes it's like, oh, well, it should look this way and it should look that way. But they are, you know, one artist's interpretation of the ideal. Or even if it's photographs, like that's one snippet of one person. And so in our lab, we had four different bodies and there was like six of us to each. So even within that small group, you could see the wide variety of difference. So I went into that dissection thinking like, okay, I'm just so excited to see all the things I know about. And I left feeling like I knew nothing. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience, but it's like when you're faced with all of that information, you realize like how, I don't even, I mean, complicated, but also simple the body is, right? It's like it can be broken down into parts, but as a moving, breathing, running person, it can be super complicated. But if anything, I left knowing that anything is possible as far as like where parts are, how things heal, like anything is possible. And the body is so, it's so stinking cool. And you don't have to, you know, go to a, a cadaver lab for six days to figure that out. I think you can, you know, just from also pushing the limits of your body, I'm also blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it's amazing. The human body is amazing. Yeah. And I think the idea that every body is unique in a lot of different ways is a really good lesson for runners to understand because I'm constantly getting questions about you know, the, uh, the difference in how much time I spend on my right foot versus my left foot. And now that running watches have gotten so tech forward and so complex mm -hmm. that now we're inundated with so many different running metrics. And they tell us so much about our running form in our bodies. And, you know, when we look at what one runner might have in terms of, you know, how much time they're spending on one foot versus the other foot or any of the other metrics that we're looking at, the, the the one constant is a wide variety in uh, how, you know, we run. And you can really see this in, in our mechanics, our biomechanics. You know, even at the elite level, no two elite runners run very similar. And in, in fact, some of the best runners in the world have some very interesting running forms. So, if, yeah. you know, you're, you don't look like the ideal then. You know, I think it's it's heartening to know that there is no ideal, and you know maybe there's some good principles, um, and, and I think that's a it's a great lesson. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I think I agree. You know, for runners especially, knowing even a basic amount of anatomy is just a total game changer. You know, I can't tell you how many times a runner says to me, "My thigh hurts." You know, it's mm -hmm. just so general, and knowing 
even just the major muscles in the body is going to help any runner better communicate with their coach, their doctor, or their physical therapist. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about exercise biology. This is something that I had to look up. I wasn't <laughs> sure exactly what it was, but it sounds like a fascinating field of study. Can you tell me more about it? Yeah, absolutely. It's basically, I would say like kinesiology, but with a more uh, research heavy focus because I was at uh, UC, so UC Davis. And um, I actually got a postcard in the mail that looked like a Gatorade commercial. So it was somebody on a bike and they were hooked up to a machine and they were, you know, analyzing now I know, but like VO2 max and looking out, you know, oxygen consumption and how it's all working together. And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but I want to do that. And I knew I wanted to do biology uh, as a, my focus, but not cellular biology. Um, and so that was the only UC that offered that unique program. Um, so types of classes that I took, anything from athletic training, um, there was a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think of specifically the name, but you know, here's pathology and here's all the terrible things that can happen to you and how exercise can either help with prevention or you know, was brought into it. We did a lot of testing. Um, and so it, it was a lot of research heavy focus into the body and how it works. Um, and what can, I don't want to go wrong, but yeah, what can go wrong? Um, there was also the anatomy component, like I mentioned. Um, and if anything, it really gave me the ability to, to like ask better questions, you know, like that critical thinking, um, and just, I, and I would say as all, of all things, learn. I learned how to read research articles, which I'm, as you know, like when you're writing stuff and people are like, well, research says, and I'm like, but does it really, you know, and being able to go to the source article and actually understand what's happening. Um, but it was more of that research heavy exercise biomechanics kind of um, degree, which then helped me in everything else that I've done. Um, you know, it's not the first time I'm hearing about anatomy and it's not the first time I'm hearing about mechanics and and how it all fits together. Yeah, it seems like, you know, this the the degree you have and in many of the workshops that you've taken, particular particularly that dissection workshop, really gave you a very <laughs> good idea about uh, how the body works and in some of the interventions we can take to um, heal it and treat maybe an injury or get more out of our body, you know, perform better. Um, yeah. And I know you've done some recent writing uh, about mobility. And and this is a, a more specific area that I want to dive into a little bit, uh, because I, I was recently writing about this as well, because I think a lot of runners in particular have this understanding of mobility and flexibility as the same thing. And, mm -hmm. and they're, they're very different uh, from each other. Can you talk about some of the big lessons you learned from your CrossFit mobility course that you took that might be helpful for runners? Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, mobility is not only your flexibility, but your ability to control movements at the end range. Meaning, you know, not just, oh, I can flop down into a split, but that I have the ability to move my hip through all ranges of motion well. Um, and how personally, I feel like mobility is more valuable because especially with running, like, okay, cool. You can touch your toes, but like, is that really going to improve your speed or your mechanics compared to, you know, having better control over your hip and all of the stabilizers and all of that, that goes into it. 
Um, so strength is a big component to mobility. And that's one of the things that I've really been interested in playing with, with myself and with my clients is how, when you get stronger, you don't actually lose flexibility, you know, and when you get stronger, your body is able to move with ease through more ranges of motion through more positions. It actually just makes everything feel easier. And so mobility now, I would say, is kind of like, um, it's totally a buzzword. <laughs> um, but I would say for runners, you know, instead of just focusing on stretching, focus on moving with body weight. So not necessarily, you know, added load, which would be strength training, um, but moving your body through different positions. Um, one of my favorite ways to do it and possibly would be a great warm up is even something as basic as hip circles, you know, standing, doing hip circles with control because we can easily do ballistic where you're just, you know, swinging your leg back and forth. But when you're able to do it with control, that's what's really going to improve the strength and improve your coordination. And when your body and joints and like everything can move better, that's when we can really tap into and like refine mechanics and how you're moving and improve body awareness, which I imagine is like the, it's the best thing that you can do, especially on long runs. Um, you know, I can't remember where I read this, but uh, an injury of yours um, with the Achilles where you're like, in one run, I knew that something was up, right? And it's so much easier to pick up on stuff in one run than 50 runs later, you know, even three runs later because you're just compounding that injury. Um, so yeah, mobility and the strengthening and coordination that it brings can help you to just really keep injuries at bay. Yeah, now you're talking my language because I've been writing a lot about um, athleticism and movement fluency and being a more coordinated runner. You know, I actually like to tell my runners, don't even call yourself a runner. You are an athlete that specializes in running. And, you know, it's a little bit of semantics here, but but it's a powerful way of reframing our view of ourselves so that we're not just going to be running all the time. We're going to be doing a lot of other work that's going to help us become more well-rounded, holistic athletes, as opposed to one-dimensional runners who can run forward very fast, but do very little else. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you're kind of talking more about this mobility aspect as a component of uh, strength almost. And, you know, you've You've wrote recently that if stretching isn't helping, start building strength. And I'd love to explore that a little bit more because, you know, one of the one of the types of emails that I get probably three times a week is my injury is still here after two months. I've all I'm doing is icing, stretching and doing yoga. What's wrong? And mm -hmm. for me, you know, that's not really a treatment approach because all you're doing is 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 working on flexibility and a changing larger ranges of motion when that's not really a goal that's going to help a runner. You know, you don't need to be able to do a split. We are not gymnasts. <laughs> and, you know, healing an injury is really healing some damaged tissue and stretching damaged tissue is not a way to heal that tissue. So let, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the, the strength building component to this. And what do you mean by by helping? Is it are you talking specifically about an injury? Well, I would say in general, because sometimes people have pain that they can't quite pin to a specific injury, you know? Um, so if you have pain at all of any type, that's a signal that something's going on. It's a red flag for sure that should be paid attention to. And the reason why stretching doesn't always help is because what's hurting 
isn't always the cause, which like, I'll just give you a second for your brain to explode for some of your listeners. Um, Where it hurts is not, and Ida Rolf, who's uh, created rolfing, which is a form of body work, um, she's coined a saying, um, you know, where it hurts, it ain't. If you think of your body like a corporation, we'll say, um, and your IT band is the one that hurts, you know, that's like Harry over in accounting and he's just complaining all the time because he has so much work to do and he's so angry and yada, 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 yada. But the reason why Harry in accounting is working so much is because, you know, Joan over in the other accounting department isn't pulling her weight. So if you, again, to the IT band, if your IT band is causing you tension um, and it's creating pain and you keep stretching and stretching, stretching, instead of just treating and going after where that pain is, I challenge you to ask the bigger question of, well, why? You know, what is going on that's creating this overwork to happen in the IT band? And what oftentimes is the cause, and not for everybody, of course, um, but is that the deeper hip muscles, specifically like glute med is a big one, it's like off to lunch and sleeping. And so because it's not working or it's not strong enough to do that work, then the IT band has to pick up the slack. So that's definitely a thing about the body in general. It will get you from point A to point B in any means necessary, not always what's most mechanically sound. And that's usually where we run into, you know, issues of injuries or overuse or pain or whatever. So again, back to this IT band issue, stretching it is not going to help because the issue isn't that it needs to be stretched. It's not tight because it needs to be stretched. It's tight because it's trying to create stability where stability isn't already happening. So going back to mobility too, you know, exploring how your body can move, doing even simple things as working on hip flexibility. My favorite way to do this is just to sit on the floor because when you get up and down off the floor, that's hip work in itself. I know you have small kids, so like I'm sure you're up and down off the floor all the time. And because most of us sit to the chair level and then that's it, right? We never go any lower than that. We lose that flexibility and control. So that mobility to be able to move through all those ranges. Um, so if there is an issue, you know, whether it's plantar fasciitis or hip pain, back pain, IT band stuff, instead of just going locally where the pain is, go bigger, right? Go bigger and look where else it could be coming from. And I would say nine times out of 10, strengthening, whether it be of that joint, a nearby area, or also the core is probably going to resolve the issue. Yeah, you're talking my language now because you're you're describing me. That's my my big injury that I've had in my running career was a, a very bad IT band injury. And it wasn't because my IT band was too tight. I learned this uh, after taking um, uh, it was a treatment workshop for IT band syndrome on mobility. It was very interesting. And mm-hmm. we learned that the IT band itself has the consistency of a truck tire. You know, it's not going to be stretched, nor should you even want it to be. You know, it's supposed to be tight to do its job properly. And that job is providing stability for the leg, like you mentioned. So yeah, you're you're 100% right. I'm, I'm so glad that you're um, kind of getting this out there because I think runners in particular always want to attack whatever the specific issue is that they have. You know, my ankle hurts, so let's, you know, ice my ankle or whatever it might be. And and I think when we think of, uh, you know, your analogy with, you know, uh, Harry in accounting or whoever <laughs> our fictional accounting uh, is named, you know, this is 
what's going on in our body. You know, it's a very, like you learned in your dissection course, it's, it's pretty complex. And if you're having pain in the knee or the ankle, it's probably being referred from somewhere else. Some other muscle group is really not doing its job. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, mobility tools. Uh, I think a lot of runners uh, love mobility tools. I think the market for mobility tools has just exploded over the last couple of years. Uh, now, you know, you're not going to get a foam roller for $20. Now you can buy, you know, a battery powered vibrating yes. foam roller with lugs in it for $120. Yeah. And it's just getting kind of crazy. So, you know, what are your thoughts on some of these massage tools? Like, say, for example, a foam roller or, you know, the more budget friendly lacrosse ball? Mm-hmm. I love massage tools of all kinds. I have a whole box in my closet of therapy balls of different densities and textures and sizes and foam rollers, like Torture all the things. devices. I get it. I love them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that actually brings up a good point because all of them essentially do the same thing, right? Which is massage. Um, and when it comes to massage, harder isn't always better. So while I love lacrosse balls because they are easy to come by and they're literally everywhere, they can be too hard for some of your softer tissues. Like we were talking about the IT band, like it doesn't need to stretch. In cadaver studies, it stretches about 3% of its length before it ruptures. So like it doesn't need to be longer. So your massage tools, the harder and more intense they are, doesn't necessarily equate better. Uh, Massage is touch. And so what we're really doing is having a conversation with the nervous system, improving blood flow, improving, you know, uh, nutrients into the area, garbage out. But you can't like massage harder and get more of a change because your body is going to be resistant to that. And that's what you feel, right? You feel more because your body is going, oh, my gosh, what's happening? So. I've yet to try the uh, that vibrating foam roller. I have seen that in some of those other tools. Um, but simple is great. Um, softer, I would say, is better. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, but it's not doing anything. But it still is doing something, I promise. Um, and what I like about smaller tools is that you can get more refined with your approach. So if you think of a foam roller like a paint roller, if you want to get really into the detail work of maybe even just working on the connective tissue, like around the ankle, right around the outside of the ankle, if you've had a lot of ankle sprains, a foam roller is too big. And a lacrosse ball is way too hard because there's not a lot of flesh there, you know. Um, So that's where a softer tool, uh, especially one that has grip to it, is going to be better. Uh, But I would say all tools in general are amazing. But if you had to pick three, I think that's as (laughs) as slow as I could go. Definitely foam roller, uh, probably a soft inflated ball to do some just like general muscle flushing and fascial work. Um, and then a smaller therapy ball or massage ball to do some of that detailed work, like into the IT band, into your upper back. I mean, even into the forearms too, of all the stuff that, you know, people carry when they run. Like I challenge you, if you roll your forearm out on a wall, you're going to be blown away at how uncomfortable it is. I'm going to have to try that. I don't think I've ever foam rolled my arms. I'm probably a typical runner. (laughs) Right. And a foam roller is like, it's too big. You can't put a foam roller against the wall. But a smaller ball, even like one of those tiny balls from, um, you know, like the quarter machines. I can't even think what those are called. Like a bouncy ball. Exactly. Yeah. Even one of those, you can get into the muscles on the the backside of your form, just leaning into a wall. And you're going to be blown away because you use a computer, you use a phone. 
you hold somebody's hand, right? All of that stuff can create tension in the forearms, which also goes up to the shoulders and into the neck because it's all connected. It's all connected. Now, is is mobility training kind of like strength training in that, you know, maybe we can do it a couple days a week, you know, two, three, four days, and then that's it? Or is this something that requires a daily practice? I find that it's more effective as a daily practice. And it doesn't have to take a, a large amount of time. So I spend probably about 15 minutes a day. And it instead of, you know, getting your special clothes on and pulling out your mat and doing your mobility stuff, you can absolutely weave it into your entire day. Um, so I work at a standing desk so I can stretch out my calves from time to time and do some calf raises because I'm just standing here anyways. Uh, having mobility tools out, so doing some of that massage work, um, that helps it to happen more frequently. But if you spend a little bit of time every day, then you don't have to play catch up when you have an injury. You can really kind of put keep injuries at bay because you're constantly tapped into what's going on in your body, um, where your tensions are, what what's going on by just tuning in every day, you know? Um, so I would say it's a daily thing or not even a daily thing. I feel like it, it just becomes a part of what you do. You know, and by making it a part of what you do, then you don't have to spend as much time on it. Um, and like I've already mentioned, getting up and down off the floor, like that can count too. Um, another easy thing to work on, let's say shoulder mobility, when I walk through doorways, reaching overhead and just trying to tap the top of the door frame, that can be super helpful as well. And um, just, you know, thinking of ways you can weave it into your day to day so you spend less time doing it um, can be really helpful. But you don't have to do like a massive, you know, a 75 minute workout and then take two days off. You could, but you don't have to. That's what I like about mobility is that a little bit goes a long way. And if you do a little bit every day, then you don't have to take, you know, that 45 minute hour long session, you know, on the foam roller, because those, those, you know, lengthy massage sessions and, and other types of mobility work uh, take a lot of time. And after a certain amount of time, we really get beyond what is actually helpful for us. Um, let's talk a little bit more about how to weave this into our day, because I think this is great. And a lot of runners don't have, you know, some real practical examples of what to do for mobility. So you mentioned, okay, a stand-up desk. That gives you a lot more variability in the positions that you're putting your body in throughout the day. You can stand, you can sit. While you're standing, you can move around a little bit more. You can stretch your calves like you mentioned. Um, we can work on self-massage using a lot of the tools that we discussed. What else can we do? Is this like on a daily practice? Can we just do things the hard way all the time? And does that, <laughs> does that help us? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. No, uh, exactly what you said too. being proactive rather than reactive is just it's so much easier and saves you time in the long run. So I would say a really great place to start would be to add foam rolling in after your runs. You know, set a timer for 10 minutes. Maybe if you want to get super fancy, five minutes, one leg, five minutes, the other. Um, and the spots that I would definitely hit are the back of the thigh. So hamstrings, front of the thigh for quads um, and then your calf. 
And even just that is going to not only help you feel better and more recovered throughout the rest of the day, but for your next run, you'll be more well prepared because of, you know, the fluid flow in and out of the cells and also just helping the tissues to recover faster. So I would say that would be a great place to start is just tack on 10 minutes of foam rolling to your runs. And then the next easiest thing, I'm still just such a huge fan of sitting on the floor, you know, because you can change the position of your legs, whether your legs are out in front of you or having, um, you know, both feet off to one side with the knees bent. And then you can do the other side. Um, just finding ways to get more comfortable as you're sitting is going to stretch your hips. Um, and I think one of the reasons why most people don't do that is because it is so hard or they're like, I'm going to get stuck on the floor. Um, so if you have like a low step stool or like an ottoman or even a coffee table, that could be some place to start is just to practice getting up and down off there, you know, sit on that object and you can, you know, do different hip stretches. The figure four stretch is like an oldie, but a goodie. Um, and then work your way down to the floor. You know, Alex, one of the things that I've gotten interested in over the last two years or so is just the idea uh, or more the field of study on longevity. And I read this really interesting book called Blue Zones by Dan Bittner and definitely recommend it. It was one of the best books I think I read in 2017. Uh, and it talks about these specific areas around the world where there's a very high percentage compared to the general population of people living to 100 or more. And one of the interesting things was that they did find that these centenarians, which I think I'm getting that word right, uh, spend a lot of time doing things the hard way. And in one area in particular, I think it was Okinawa, Japan, they uh, sat down on the ground a lot. And the author goes into this story about how sitting down on the ground really helps you improve not only your mobility, but your strength. Because if you imagine your 80-year-old grandmother sitting on the floor and trying to get up, most of us can't do that because our 80-year-old grandmother can't do that. But in these places, you have 105-year-old men and women who are sitting down on the ground and then getting up off the ground with no chair 20 times a day, 30 times a day. And you can see how that just makes you incredibly strong and mobile and able to get into these positions. So, you know, I, I think if it's great for longevity, for those reasons, it's going to help us as runners as well with the same mobility gains, the same strength gains. I think that's, uh, you know, a really simple but very effective way to think about very functional strength and mobility. Now, you said something a little while earlier that I wanted to touch on a little bit because I don't know much about it at all. And you talked about how self-massage really uh, is a stimulus to the nervous system. And mm -hmm. I was wondering, can you talk more about that and really what's going on with the nervous system when we're foam rolling or getting on that lacrosse ball? What is happening? Because this is such an interesting area of uh, what I'll say running fitness is, you know, I, I frequently talk about neuromuscular fitness, you know, it's the, the ability for our brain to communicate well with our muscles. And uh, what is mobility doing to this neuromuscular pathway? What's happening in our body? Well, the first thing, and actually my anatomy teacher has a video of this in one of his courses, but your connective tissue, your fascia is so strong. 
Like he even hooked up like 50 pound weights to fascia and like was able to pick it up and it stretches, but it doesn't break. So for us to think that any foam roller, lacrosse ball, whatever is actually making change on the level of the collagen and the fascia, like it's, it's not happening. We think it is, but it's not happening. And the studies that have shown that like, oh yeah, it does make change. They've been done on tiny, tiny rats with um, outrageous amounts of force that we're just not able to generate. So if it's not the structural change that's happening, it's really your body and specifically your brain, like you're talking about that neuromuscular connection, your brain's tolerance of the stretch. It's your brain saying, okay, I can get into that shape or I can tolerate that stretch and I know that I'm still safe. I'm not stretching beyond what this safe range is. And so oftentimes when we feel, you know, like hamstrings, oh, my hamstrings are so super tight. It could be that the hamstrings are tight because they're trying to protect you from moving into a range that you can't get out of or that your tissues can't actually tolerate. Um, so the collagen is super strong and the massage work is going to improve your proprioception, which is your body awareness or your body sense of itself. Um, and through time again and again and again, that becomes the resting state of the muscle. So that's another reason why, um, like you mentioned too, like, oh, longer massages, it takes like 45 minutes. It can take an hour, sometimes 90 minutes you will have more change by doing something every day because you're making those incremental changes rather than trying to make this big, massive change, your body going like, oh my gosh, what just happened? If you've ever had a massage where you were more sore after, that's usually what's going on. Um, so doing those incremental changes to help the body slowly adapt to you know, that change in pressure and that change in tension. Um, I'm trying to think of what the specific study was, but there has been some studies about deep tissue massage um, and softer tools usually are more effective because your body and your muscles aren't bracing against the impact. Um, so it's the same thing too. Like I was thinking like the Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy, right? If you slowly poke somebody in the gut, they're going to allow that to happen, right? Versus a harder, faster, poke or punch, you're going to automatically brace against it. And so that happens globally to your body. It's bracing against whatever that tool is. And that's why it feels like it's more intense, but really you're just fighting with yourself. So a softer tool will allow all the tissues to relax. It allows your nervous system to relax into it. It allows even your, um, you know, we have the fight or flight, the sympathetic response, and then the opposite of that, that rest and digest is parasympathetic. And so that softer tool and those deeper stretches are able to bring you out of that fight or flight and more into that parasympathetic. So instead of thinking about, you know, mobility tools or, or massage on a local level, again, like right where you're rolling or right where you're working, the bigger picture idea is just taking the whole body, the whole nervous system and everything and just like toning it down a couple notches. Does this mean that some of the more aggressive massage tools, and I'm thinking specifically like Graston, are either ineffective or they should be used by a professional in very specific, unique circumstances? And and before we get into this, Graston is like a method of torture massage. You get these stainless steel <laughs> implements that look like they're you know ninja stars or something crazy like that, and, and you just dig them into your leg in different ways. And so is this too hard? Because it seems like the, the, the physical therapy industry and, and related uh, fields of study are kind of moving away from that really hard, aggressive massage. 
Yeah, I wouldn't even describe grassing as massage. It is a new form of torture. It feels terrible. <laughs> um, and I agree that, you know, with a physical therapist, um, Graston in specific applications is great and it serves a fantastic purpose. Um, I know when I was experiencing plantar fasciitis, I had some Graston done to my plantar fascia to help free up some of those adhesions that were getting really, really, really stiff. And so it was great there. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you do Graston, you know, every single day because it is super, super intense. Um, so I would say, yeah, it depends. And I think, Everyone is kind of realizing that, oh, I don't need to be bruised. Um, you know, I don't need to like be bleeding literally um, for this treatment to be effective. That less is more. And your body is going to respond faster to those incremental changes rather than abrupt. And with training, it's exactly the same. Like you wouldn't tell someone to go run a 5K on their first run ever. You know, they need to do the incremental buildup to build up that strength. So just think of it the same way as far as self-massage mobility goes. You know, work slowly and work softly to build up your body's tolerance. You can't, you know, fast track it by using a harder, more intense tool. It almost reminds me of, you know, the line, no pain, no gain when it comes to training and how there's been, you know, such a huge pushback on that recently. And now a lot of coaches are talking more about train, don't strain. And it seems mm -hmm. like the same principle really applies to massage. We don't need to do it as hard as we can. We don't need to be in pain the whole time. And if we're just a little bit more moderate with it, then we'll actually get more benefits. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. No pain is gain. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, Alex, I want to talk about a related mobility injury that afflicts a lot of different runners, particularly runners who might do a little bit more trail running. And that's the infamous rolled ankle or ankle strain or sprain. And uh, I know you wrote about this recently. So I thought you were a really good person to ask about this, um, you know, especially with your background. Uh, what's going on when we are out there running and we step on a route and we strain or even sprain our ankle? What's happening in the body? It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> so uh, what usually happens is what's called an inversion ankle sprain. So that's on the outside of the ankle. And the ligaments and even some of the connective tissue there is stretched abruptly past its comfortable or tolerable range. Um, so if you think of, um, I'm trying to think, like not a rubber band, ideally that's where we want to get to and I'll get to that. Uh, but if the ligaments and the tissues there aren't really pliable, right, they're not able to stretch and return to their normal resting state, um, that's where we can get into ankle, uh, ankle sprains. You can also sprain it the other way, which I have done. Don't recommend. It's really hard. It's miserable. Don't try it. Um, but the best way, or here's another note, actually, I want to mention about ankle sprains and any injury in general is when your body is injured, your brain goes, hey, that hurts. I don't want to do that again. And so it shuts down some of the communication to the area in addition to tightening the connective tissue, the muscles to brace around that injured area. And if you've sprained your ankle, you feel that the calf gets really tight, the foot gets really tight, but then you also sprain your ankle like 15 more times over the course of the next couple weeks. So the best way to start to recover from an ankle sprain instead of rice, which, um, you know, rest, ice, compression, elevation, getting movement happening as soon as possible. Um, 
again, small incremental ways like we've been talking about. So something like ankle circles or even just wiggling your toes um, or maybe using some of your really soft mobility tools to help move that swelling through the joint. That would be a good place to start for that. Um, And then as far as avoiding ankle sprains down the line, uh, going barefoot often to improve proprioception, so improve that body awareness of brain to foot and ankle connection, and and then strengthening the foot. Calf raises are super boring, um, but they're really effective. So even doing them off a ledge um, so that you can let your heel drop below your toes so you get that full ankle range, that can be really helpful. Um, And massaging through the feet too. So using a soft, you know, tennis ball or, you know, something like that to massage the bottoms of your feet all will improve not only the pliability, right? So we don't have that rigid sensation or that rigidness or inelasticity to the tissues, um, but will also then help you to improve the strength so that it doesn't happen again. So I'm listening to you with my running coach ears, and it seems to me like the solution or the prevention of these rolled ankles is like better training. You know, let's do a little bit of barefoot running. Maybe that's barefoot strides a couple t- couple days a week. Maybe that's just a few minutes of barefoot running at the end of an easy run once or twice a week. But it's also, let's make sure we're doing a little bit of sprinting or running really fast because that's obviously going to put our ankle in a much more dorsiflexed position. So working on mobility in the most running specific way we can do it, which is running. And then of Mm -hmm. course, um, doing running drills or form drills and doing, um, making sure that some of the drills that we're doing force us to move laterally. So side to side, which is something that we runners never do. And, And I can actually tell because I have a basketball background, you know, once I stopped growing and all my, uh, teammates kept on growing, I knew I had to quit basketball being only five foot seven is not really going to work out very well for (laughs) my basketball dreams. But But one of the things that I learned was that uh, I was totally comfortable with running and workouts and and I didn't have any injuries for about four years when I first started running. And that's because, you know, in hindsight, when I look back on it, I was doing so many complementary types of exercise when I was in middle school that prepared me so well to be a runner in high school. So just being in like that defensive basketball position, you're in like a quarter squat and you're moving back and forth, you know, side to side. It's just such an amazing way to build that uh, ankle flexibility and mobility and really work on that different type of movement that is so helpful for runners. Um, If if an ankle, uh, or I'm sorry, a runner does sprain their ankle, Uh, You said, you know, there's that first initial phase of it getting really tight. How do you just, how do you kind of, um, you know, mobilize it and make sure we're getting in some movement while at the same time, not doing any kind of movement that's too extreme or that's going to, you know, re-injure the ankle? How do you kind of strike that balance? Mm -hmm, Great question. Pain-free movement is really the key. Because um, I just heard this, even after 30 minutes of pain, your brain is already mapping that pain. Um, It's remembering what happened. And so part of overcoming an injury and overcoming pain um, is making sure to stay within the range of what can be done without pain. Initially, that I think of it like a, a circle. That circle is very small as to what you can do. Um, but gradually, as you continue to move 
that circle will grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So I would say staying out of things that create pain um, will help you to do that recovery faster. Um, Another thing with the ankle sprains and the pain, um, the swelling is a huge piece of why um, it hurts so much is because the nerve endings are getting compressed. Your mobility is restricted because the joint is literally swollen. Um, So things that can get the swelling out movement, like we talked about um, doing that elevation um, or even like compression. So doing compression socks or um, one thing I really like is it's called the voodoo band or voodoo floss. It's huge in the CrossFit world, but it's high tension compression for short duration. So think of, you know, like an ace bandage, but it's made out of rubber. And so you can wrap with high tension from your toes up, keep it on for like two minutes, and that'll help to flush really, really, really well. So we're flushing out some of those byproducts, some of the, you know, usually we talk about exercise byproducts with runners, but this is more like an injury byproduct. Totally, totally. And swelling itself isn't bad because it's bringing, you know, proteins and things that are going to help to rebuild and repair those ligaments. Um, where it's an issue is if it sits around for, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, and the bruising is still there. So it's not evil, don't worry, but you do want it to keep moving so it doesn't get stagnant. Alex, this was a really interesting conversation about pain and the body, and uh, I'm really glad we were able to have it because you know you have uh, a background and perspectives on things that I don't usually hear just because I'm usually talking to runners and coaches and authors of running books. So I really appreciate uh, you lending your expertise to this episode because um, I think pain is a topic that we runners need to talk a little bit more about. It's not something that we really should be experiencing too much in our training, but we're always inundated with no pain, no gain, and races are supposed to hurt, and all these kinds of uh, sayings that influence how we go about our training, how we treat our own injuries, and whether or not we'll try to push forward and push through an injury when that's really not a bad, uh, a good idea. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. And it's so true. Like, you can run without pain. It is possible. And just doing a little bit like we talked about a little bit every day is going to help you feel amazing every single day. Wonderful. Thank you, Alex, so much. Uh, Hey, if folks want to check out your work, I know you have a podcast as well. Where can they find you? Uh, The Body Nerd Show is my podcast. And you can also find all kinds of goodies over at aewellness.com. Wonderful. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Jason here one more time before you head out today. Thanks for listening. And thank you again for taking our podcast survey to celebrate our 100th episode. I would really appreciate your feedback and thoughts on how to make the show better. Go to strengthrunning.com survey and give me a piece of your mind. I can't wait to hear your ideas for our next 100 episodes. Thanks for being here and we'll be in touch soon. 